hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. One. Welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. I'm Jason Thompson, and I'm here with the... Um, I've run out of superlatives at this point, Joe. I, I'm here with the... Um, oh, he's shaking his head at me. OK, I'm here with the pretty average and OK Joe Ford. There, he seems happy with that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. It's better than all those superlatives I usually come out with. That bollocks. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm awake. Um, <laughs> You're present. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. That's about as much as I can. Uh, I can admit to at the moment. So. <laughs> well, what? Why are we here? We are here to discuss the evil of the Daleks, specifically episode five of the Evil of the Daleks. Uh, we've had a weird and wonderful machinations of the Daleks that have involved Jamie trying to rescue a girl and he seems to have finally reached where she's being held prisoner except a dalek is emerging um jason may i ask you a personal question well i don't see how i can stop you asking (laughs) (laughs) i'm so glad you got that Um, (laughs) it's doing a three and a half or three ish hour commentary is it tough? Because, you know, like sometimes, you know, you and me did a, how long that Dalek Mask Plan 1 ended up being? About eight hours, I think. <laughs> it was long. It was snow. I think it was about six and a half hours or something like that. But it's very easy to say everything in episode one and two and have nothing left to say towards the end. I, I, possibly it is. Uh, if anyone is listening and thinks we're repeating ourselves, uh, tough, frankly. <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, it know, is easy to 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 cram everything into the first couple of episodes and then realize you've got nothing left to say. Uh, but somehow we managed twelve episodes of Master Plan, so I'm sure we can do seven of Evil. Well, the joy of this one is it sort of transmogrifies as it goes along, doesn't it? So suddenly you're touching base with different time periods, different sets of characters. So there's kind of always something to say. Yeah, it's not six episodes in the same seven episodes in the same place we've been to uh we've been in 1966 we're now in 1866 and we're going to be heading off to scaro later so an unspecified year yeah that's never actually determined is it whenever we head to scaro nope there's certainly some supposedly some time travel involved in it but we don't know exactly when on scaro we are so you said to me in episode two Look, remember this time machine, all right? Because if we don't, we don't, we forget about it now for a little while. <laughs> but it becomes important again later on. We ain't seen it since. No, we haven't seen it since part two, and we're not going to see it this episode either. <clears throat> well, okay. Well, I'm. I don't remember anything about episode five, so I think we should jump in and have a look and see what it's got to offer. Let's do that. Oh, let's do just that. Indeed. <laughs> uh, who's counting us in? Oh, me. Okay. You. Five, four, three, two, one. Off we pop. Please start. Please start. It started. Thank God. Hey. Okay. <laughs> um, are you watching in black and white? I am, yes. I, I enjoyed the colour animation, the colour and widescreen animation. I especially enjoyed it on the big screen with some great people. Uh, what, a, what a day that was. Mm, it was. Uh, 
that was that was fantastic that was my first bfi event and uh i've been to every one of the doctor who ones since so the the live reaction from that because it's it's fairly big isn't it that cinema um, mm. room is i don't know how many they can pack in there it's a couple of hundred at least i would think so yeah and and sort of when the gags hit and everyone's laughing I, I don't know this is something like it's confirmation bias isn't it you love this show and the fact that you're surrounded by all these people that love this show as well it yeah gives you tingles it does it's a whole new way of watching doctor who which i've not really experienced before normally i watch doctor who on my own or with with zoe at home uh, of course uh, and i did in the early years of my fandom i did take part in a doctor who club at school where about a dozen of us would sit and watch it and that was that was fun um but yeah sitting and watching it with friends but then on the big screen with loads of other fans is just amazing amazing experience so do you know and i'm gonna in an earlier episode you know you managed to make a point by referring to a point that was made in an earlier episode of a hamster with a blunt pen knife and now i'm going to do exactly the same thing but it was a point that was made by you and that was when we did the Saranga conundrum and you were talking about um, fandom responding to new episodes of Doctor Who and how there is this weight of expectation of everything to be absolutely bloody amazing. And of course it isn't. And so then suddenly there's a massive backlash. Well, the joy of watching Evil of the Daleks is, is we all know this story. So there's no expectation about how good this story is going to be. We know it completely. So we're all going in, knowing exactly every fucking plot twist, probably every line. You said you could bash out the script earlier in the thing. <laughs> I might hold you to that later. But you know what I mean? Like, the, there is no massive expectation in what... So it's kind of like a safe way to experience it with other people. I, I do know what you mean, although I am going to contradict you slightly because i do know i do know from what i've uh seen on twitter and what i've got from talking to people that several of the people who go to these events haven't seen these stories before i know there were people in every one of them who were their first time seeing that story wow so and it's great as a prepared to name a, and shame these people i i don't think i will no <laughs> <laughs> shame um but I do remember I might have uh, I, I was concerned when we did the Sea Devils because I'd said how great it was to a couple of people who'd never seen it before. So afterwards, I went up to them and I said, did you enjoy it or am I in trouble? <laughs> so are these people that are coming from the new series to the classic series? Yeah. So as a, you know, by, by this point, I've been a fan of Doctor Who for 30 something years. Uh, I've seen. Excellent use of your bottom lip there. Yeah. I've seen or heard every episode of Classic Who multiple times at this mm. point. Uh, and I know most of it backwards. You know, I can bash out all the story titles in order, the individual episodes from the William Hartley are in order, and I can tell you the plot of any of the given stories. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And it's, I love going to these events knowing that there are people who haven't seen these stories that I'm so familiar with. And it's always great to get people's reactions to them, uh, well, whether they like I... them or not. It's just nice to know that there are people who are still coming to the series now. Well, and and it's discovering this in, in the sort of the debate as well, isn't it? It's fresh voices coming in with fresh opinions. And a lot of these people are like people that have been brought up on modern television. 
going mm. back and watching these. So, you know, this isn't cranky, but you know what I mean when I say it's not cranky old black and white TV. No, I know exactly what you mean. And, you know, it's to, to you know, some of these people were were not born before the classic series finished. Some of these people were, you know, <laughs> some of these people came to it and, you know, watching the Christmas invasion at the age of three or something like that and, and getting into it that way. And it's just, it's it's great. I love it. And I really envy these guys, the gold that they still have to discover. And curious as to whether they watch some of the things that generally speaking are held in lower regard and what they think of them when yeah. they get to them so oh, when i first met fraser he still had a list of about 10 stories that he'd never seen underworld was on that list then he went and watched underworld and he went well that was pretty good what's everyone going on about you know <laughs> mind you he has got he's got a thing about defending turkeys though at fraser well i hope you're not referring to the dominators as a turkey i love the dominators i wish <laughs> i remain undisclosed <laughs> But underworld, underworld for me was just the, the it wasn't the CSO sets that were the problem for me with Underworld. It's the fact that after episode boring. one, I found it boring. So <laughs> boring, my God. Um, but imagine coming to Evil of the Daleks, like watching this animation and this weird and wacky and scary and suspenseful and funny and beautifully acted story coming to life before your eyes with all the my God, I'd love I in a way i almost want my memory wiped so i can go back and experience it all again i know that's a stupid thing to say no not at all i would love to come to some of this stuff new but uh when you say that dave rennie asks has animating the story deepened its classic status or has it made us realize it's not as good as we thought it certainly didn't have that effect on me the latter it it, it didn't deepen it because i i thought it was great I thought the animation was great, so I still think it's great. Yeah, I, I'd say the same. I was already pretty much you know, in love with this story, um, but I'm not blind to its faults. But I don't think the fact that it's no. been animated has has changed that because those faults aren't visual. They're plot, which is basically already apparent from the audio. So, But like, you know, like a lot of... Doctor Who stories, if you sort of pull a thread, the whole bloody thing is going to unravel. But scene to scene, I think this is pretty peerless. This sequence now, where he's hypnotising Molly, the, the sound effects and the music and everything, it's just, it's hypnotic. It's great. It is, yeah. And Marius Goring has a gorgeous voice. He does. Yeah, well, like you said, absolutely inspired bit of casting. And, you know, as much as I think he's... Uh, a raving madman with a bizarre motivation he acts it excellently oh he does absolutely and as i said i think i said in episode two this is an absolutely amazing piece of casting because maria scoring was such a well-known film and tv star and as I said founding member of equity and all that sort of thing so this was this was big casting for doctor who in the 60s and what you've got here is you've got sort of absolutely reliable old hands like him and obviously younger newer fresher talent like the woman who plays molly yes you know, bridget forsyth or people like that mm. you know yeah it's definitely classy classy cast and i know we've said that a couple of times but i will not stop saying it because it's true it's brilliantly cast this story it really is i don't think anyone drops the ball at all i think they all know that they're doing something amazing 
Uh, and right to the last, they, you know, that fella that comes in and does the Dalek Emperor voice. Astonishing. Is it Roy Skelton? Yeah. No, I could not detect Zippy there at all. No. One of the rare occasions when you can't tell it's him <laughs> doing the Dalek voice. Shuttle Force yeah. has entered heavy resistance. You can hear it quite a bit sometimes. Oh, sometimes you can, definitely. But, uh, yeah, Maria Scoring. I mean, I... Maria Scoring is one. He doesn't get mentioned in the same way um but if you watch this story he makes as many fluffs in his lines as william hartnell ever did yeah but no one ever picks up on those he called waterfield whitefield in one of them in one episode one is a nutter so you know fair (laughs) dues and but it's it's because it's sort of old and a bit bumbling as well isn't it so (laughs) a bit like hartnell (laughs) yeah well but as i've said before when defending William Hartnell and, his, and the fluffs that he makes. Everyone makes fluffs. That's that's natural dialogue. We all say things slightly wrong. So I think we've both done it on today's recording at one point. You know, I, I'm sure we have. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure we will continue to do so. Terrible actors. It just means we're tired. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Arthur Terrell. Is this where he's sending him off now? Yeah. Okay, you look, look, you've stalled the plot for an episode. Now you can bugger off. <laughs> well, he's sending him to a secret passage that leads into the room that Victoria's in to grab Victoria. Uh, because oh, can't tell we you can't story. have him rescue. We can't have Victoria actually rescued yet. So. I'll tell you a story about uh, Deborah Watling because she tells wonderful stories about her time in Doctor Who. I, I mean, whatever I think of her as an actress, she is um, she's very entertaining to listen to. And um, she's like, I can't remember which documentary it is. I think it's somewhere on the, um, what was the set they did? Lost in Time, where they put all the missing bits together. Do you remember that? And yeah. she's going, well, you know, yeah, they're asking me to to say, oh, no. Oh, Jamie. Oh, help. Like that. And she's going, so I did that. I did that. And then, you know, they're making me scream and scream at Daleks. And so I did that. Yeah. And anyway, then Jamie came in. Miss Waterfield, Miss Waterfield, I'm here to rescue you. You know, quick, up your passage. She said, well, I'm sorry. I just fell about. I couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> bless her heart. But you've got to remember, and I know it's a different character. This is the era of the Avenger girls, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, here's the Doctor with his human factor capsules and the three Daleks in packing cases for some reason. Hmm, I wonder where this is going to go. Okay, well, because it's going to hit fairly soon, not quite yet, but fairly soon. Is this the, the you know, when, you know, when they come out and they are the playful, childish, mm-hmm. is he Dr. Daleks? Is this the weirdest Dalek scene in the series' entire run? Oh, I think so, but in, inspired and brilliant at the same time, because it is so out of left field you do not see it coming so it makes for one of the best cliffhangers i think um certainly in this serial if not in the series as a whole see there and it does it kind of adds some weight to what we've been through in the last episode hasn't it to sort of extract all of those good and playful impulses so there was a reason for all of those set pieces in episode four Mm. it is a bit Weird though that Dalek that just said, "Oh, you finished? Have you right? Okay. Well, just let us know when you're done." And he clears yeah. off, so that none of the actual Daleks 
the ordinary Dalek Daleks, actually see what happens to these three human factor Daleks at all, which is rather bizarre. <laughs> it's a fact that would give away the climax to them, you know, of the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trout is vicious here, isn't it? He says it was too late, you know, the second you stole my TARDIS and, you know, got me on the scent of all this. The second Doctor here is the, probably the least clownish we've ever seen him. Yeah. And probably the least clownish we will ever see him um, in this story. I love it when all that drops away, though, because he's so good at the comedy when he's really serious. Like, do you remember that bit in Web of Fear where he's suddenly talking about the great intelligence right up to the camera? Yes. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's he's brilliant. Um, he's Trout. And yeah, uh, okay, someone think... on Twitter. Let's have a look on Twitter um, while we're on this subject. Deb Jones says, love this one. Can't decide if the Doctor is being his most human or most alien, i.e. he's so easily throwing Jamie under the bus in particular. That's a good question. <clears throat> it is. I'd say most alien. I think Jamie doesn't quite, like, they're, they're, whatever connection there is between them is sort of severed here. It is, and it has to be rebuilt in the later episodes. And... It's almost like David Whitaker is writing the Doctor more as the first than the second. Mm. Um, going back to the original, the very original time when we weren't sure about the Doctor. He wasn't unequivocally the good guy and the hero. And he was, you know, spiky and a bit dismissive of his human companions. And yet it is something they lean into a bit because I, I not long ago did a commentary on Tomb of the Cybermen where the second Doctor makes some very questionable choices. Oh, very much so. Yeah, that's uh, that's another one of those stories. It's a bit like this one in some respects in that it's great, but the plot makes no sense whatsoever. But the set pieces and the acting kind of make up for that. But he's entirely responsible for them. One, getting in the tombs. So getting into the base and then two, getting down into the tombs. And I'm like, so, okay, so everyone's murder in this story is on your <laughs> on your hands, you know? Well, you say that, but, you know, once he figured out the Cybermen were there, if he'd left them, perhaps they'd have figured it out themselves and ended up allowing the Cybermen to emerge. So I kind of like it, you know, I kind of like it when he's a bit mysterious and unknowable and his motives are a bit muddy. Oh, I love it when the Doctor's like that. And um, I like it when he's um, got a a bigger motivation than just the people he's with. Like when he's, for example, in the Silurians and the Sea Devils, when he's more interested in sorting out the peace than actually dealing with the humans. Yeah. And, you know, things like that. So, oh, Do you remember that bit in... Um, in, a, in a secret passage. Do you remember that bit in the war games where it appears, I don't think we're ever convinced that the Doctor's gone over to the other side and sold out all of his friends. I don't think that was ever a, a moment that was uh, convincing as that. I don't think we could ever have believed that because we already knew that the aliens were planning to drop a bomb. And so he was just going to have to get them there because that's the only thing he could do. I don't think we were ever convinced. You know who does that more convincingly, Jason, is Pertwee in Claws of Axos when he's such a bastard to everyone and he goes, well, oh, yeah. goodbye, Joe. I'll miss you. And then he just throws a look at the Brigadier and then goes off with the master. Oh, here we go. Jamie having a, a sword fight with Arthur Terrell. Mm. 
which you know, they didn't do too bad a job on the animation on these uh, on these no. fight scenes, really. It must have been a bit of a budget for this story. You know, they've had a lot of sets. If they're following the animation to what was in the story, mm. and they're really detailed as well. The um, the backgrounds on this. Okay, so we have a little fight, and then we'll get rid of Terrell because. Yes. I do like oh, it. When I do like it when he's the muscle, you know. And I'm not talking for kinky reasons. I just I think know, I know that's essentially mean. why he's there. He was a he was a warrior, wasn't he? He was a fighter. He was. He gets a really good fight scene in the Crotons. Oh, yeah, it's well filmed as well. That isn't it? Yeah. Now, this oh, bit, yeah. I'm, it, it took me a while, but I suddenly realised how odd this was. Ruth and Molly have run in, and Ruth says, "Oh, go and fetch the doctor." Ruth hasn't actually spoken to the doctor at all. Oh. in this story so why would she automatically assume that the doctor should be the one that molly goes to fetch we have to assume they've had an off-screen conversation i think we must <laughs> i think we must. oh this is right and then the doctor says doesn't he right that's it gather your stuff get out of here yes isn't the whole house blown up it does get blown up later on yes yeah that's a bit extreme isn't it those daleks their scorched earth policy you know yeah, definitely. But no, I, I like this. I like this sequence with the doctor who comes in and just says, do you want to save this man's life? Right, then get him away. Do what I say. Yeah. But essentially, essentially, it's just been fucking about with Arthur Terrell just to just to do it, you know, like. Yeah, it's all a bit. It's all a bit weird, the whole Arthur Terrell subplot, isn't well, it? And it is it Maxwell doing it? No, it's the Daleks, isn't it? Because when what, you hear it's that sort of obey, don't yeah. you, in the background? Yeah, 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 very strange, very strange. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit odd, but never mind. Do you know what? One thing that is very strange doing the commentary on this is not hearing the music. I'm so used to the music in this story. <laughs> it really does add a, an extra layer of brilliance to this story, that music. It's superb. Well, it means you can't hear that wonderful dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. dun yeah. <laughs> Oh, and there goes Arthur Terrell out of the house and out of the story altogether. And now some more tension between the Doctor and Jamie. Yeah. And now, randomly, Victoria is somehow unconscious in the laboratory with that glassware still bubbling away. <laughs> Look, Alex has a blow. It's up an experiment that, that takes hours, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they're doing. Oh no, does Kim will die now? No. Oh, not good. just yet. It's a bit off, isn't it? They the way they off all the black characters in the sixties is <laughs> It is a bit uh Kemmel's death is actually the one of the clumsiest, I think. I mean we'll talk about that when we get there, but it's just it's almost an afterthought. So, like Tobin's death in Tomb of the Cybermen is unfortunate, but at least like there's a plot purpose behind it, you know. He and he gets sort of the hero moment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Off we go. Victoria and Kemmel and a Dalek going through the Hall of Mirrors. So are they off to Scarrow now, are they? They're heading to Scarrow. Okay. The Doctor and Jamie are having a bit of a Barney now. 
Yeah. I, oh, we see, we, we talked about this earlier. I wouldn't mind a little bit more of this, though. A little bit of bite. Oh, mind you, no, we get a lot of that with Davison and Adric, and it gets really tedious. <laughs> I think it all depends on how you how it's written. I um, mean, this is one of the most, probably in the classic series, certainly, this is one of the best written arguments, disagreements between the companion and the doctor. Um. Well, we don't go there very often, do we? We don't. I think um, you've got, you know, obviously there's some disagreements. I mean, there's Barbara's fantastic tearing him off a strip in Edge of Destruction, which is oh, super. Accuse us? You ought to get down your hands and knees and thank us. Oh, I love that bit. That's marvellous. You've got Stephen's um, disgust with the Doctor for abandoning Anne Chaplet in the massacre. Mm. <clears throat> oh, God. Keep going. You're reminding me of all these amazing bits. And you've got this. But I think after this, there's not so many disagreements that aren't just companions being petulant about not being taken home or, you know, it's they, they don't seem to be quite the hefty disagreements. Yeah, well, I, I really like um, Ian's. You old fool. You had to see the city in the Daleks. I really like that one as well. Mm. Yeah. Oh, here we are. The three Daleks have emerged. Jamie's appalled that they're coming alive. The Doctor goes, don't worry, Jamie. They're friends. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing he's very confident in his own plan here. Cause... It is, yeah. This is this is bizarre. It is, but, oh, I don't know. And just the voice work as well. Yeah. That sort of sing-song voices that they have. Oh, look! There we go. They've got him, and they're taking him for a ride. Uh, don't worry, Jamie. They're playing trains. <laughs> they're taking me for a ride. The one thing that is a bit odd about this cliffhanger, I always thought, even when I heard the audio cassette, is that it doesn't finish with "we're taking." They're taking me for a ride. It's Maxtable going a rather amusing little game, don't you think, Jamie? That's one it's... of the rarest of things, isn't it? It's it's a uh... Upbeat cliffhanger. Mm. But yeah, Daleks are playing games. What on <laughs> earth is going on? I mean, that, that is a really offbeat ending for a Doctor. It is. It is. And I love it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of another example where it's just like, like a totally sort of the plot is hinging in a totally weird direction and the cliffhanger isn't a moment of danger or suspense yeah i i i should have i should have reviewed my twitter thread for ahead of time i mean but, i suppose no it's not quite to the same level but the gunfight is episode one which ends on a massive song but then the doctor is about to walk into the bar and you know have his head blasted off yeah so that's quite there. That's quite an odd one. Um, no, we'll have to have, we'll have to have a think between between episodes. I, I think we will. Yes. Well, let's just say it's utterly unique. Oh, definitely. Is it one of your favourites, man of the cliffhanger Twitter thread? Uh it is actually. Yeah, it is one of my favourites. Yeah. What did you give this out of ten? I can't remember. I'd have to go back and. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, between episodes, I'll go back and review my thread and see what I rated all the cliffhangers for this story. Oh, I'm just going to say thank you very much for a second, because I did ask you in our first recording if you would please 
keep going with those uh, cliffhanger threads and you have been so thank you very much yeah i have indeed i think i'm up to horror of fang rock now so i've got to go to uh oh there's some bangers in horror of fang rock i've locked it in here with us oh that's a terrible cliffhanger oh are you mad oh my god this is literally this is like having a live rant at your twitter thread <laughs> it's a terrible cliffhanger we know he's locked it in this is just the doctor catching up we know well first of all we know he's not he's shut the creature in because we've seen it throughout the episode secondly if he's locked it from the inside then no one's locked it and they can unlock the door and get out and thirdly at this point we've also seen this creature get out through a window and climb up the outside of the lighthouse so being locked in is irrelevant <laughs> guys this is why this thread is gold all right okay <laughs> i think that's quite a celebrated cliffhanger you know it is but i think it's badly i think it's badly <laughs> misrepresented tom baker Honestly. plays it superbly uh, tom all those cliffhangers that you absolutely adore he'll savage him but all those ones you think are a bit iffy he's got a great reason for loving them <laughs> but no horror of fang rock episode three terrible terrible cliffhanger tell me you like um the invisible enemy episode one where the doctor's got that gun on leela and he's going down the corridor i do like that one yes the image of the doctor pointing a gun at his companion is yeah i like that one well, look, after all this cliffhanger talk, let's see how this non-cliffhanger is resolved, shall we? Let's do that. Okay. Bang! Thank you.